It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into another edition of the Skinny Podcast. It's the Potpourri edition with my man Rick Broering. I'm Richard Skinner from Local12 and Local12.com. It is presented, as always, by Joseph Infinity in Cincinnati. Rick, in case you were wondering, um, we're doing this podcast on a day when it's it's really cold. Skinny, did you know it's cold? I know it's cold. Well, here's the thing: meteorologists do get a they they get they get banged a lot of times for um, occasionally overstating things like snowfall amounts. They got this one correct. Storms. They nailed this one. It was they, indeed cold. They nailed this one. And I think I told you two weeks ago. I looked at the long range forecast and I said it was going to be 25 below the week right before the Super Bowl. And you scoffed, and Chad Brendel, our friend, scoffed. Don't scoff at me, man. I'm 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 always two weeks ahead of the curve, Rick Broering. Did we actually scoff? Did you, you did actually scoff. say that? I did say that, and you did scoff. You wow. rolled, you actually rolled your eyes. I can't imagine me ever disrespecting my elders like uh-huh. that. Well, that you did, especially on the weather. Don't disrespect your elders. Elders know a couple things. They know where a good early bird special is, and you know what else they know? The weather. weather. No yeah. question. No. We're question. we're both big weather guys. Though. I know. Exactly. That's kind of the exactly. dream. Exactly. Skinny, the Reds are still wheeling and dealing with the Miami Marlins in pursuit of standout catcher JT Real Muto. According to John Heyman, the Reds are pretty adamant about keeping Nick Senzel. However, they're well-stocked with prospects when you think about Trammell, India, guys like that. So they remain in the hunt for Real Muto. The Padres and Dodgers are listed as the other teams most involved. The Braves, Astros, and Rays are listed as other possibilities. Would trading for Real Muto be a big deal for the Reds, or where do you come out on that? Do you think they need him, or should they be putting more attention into something they need more, like starting pitching? I, I would say this. I, I think it, I don't think it would be a big deal. I think it would be a nice deal for them. I, I think it'd be getting him would be a, a added bonus because he's a really good offensive player. I mean, he's a 20-home run guy. He hit leadoff at time for the Marlins, so you can hit him up in the order. You can hit him deep in the order. You can hit him maybe even occasionally, you know, sixth in the order. To, yeah, to I mean, in all likelihood, he'd be their third hitter in next year's lineup. Yeah. Okay. With versatility to move him wherever yeah, he, he won, he, but he could be their correct, best correct. hitter. I mean, he, and he's still young enough to where he's got some upside to him, too. I would say this. If you make this deal, and it does sound like they're closer, although it, it felt better a couple of days ago, and as this drags on, you just never know. Um, and if, if, if it does, it sounds like then the Reds are not, are balking at whatever the Marlins are asking for. If you do this deal, then I think you have to go all in. I think you have to go really all in and then you have to make another deal for another starting pitcher to solidify this. I think it, you get real Muto. I think your lineup right now is really good anyway. I don't think if you made this deal, it makes your lineup ad nauseum better. It makes it, it makes it better for sure. Cause he's a better offensive player than Tucker Barnhart. But if you're going to do this, don't, don't, don't leave every rock unturned here, man. Go after the whole shebang. Go get another starting pitcher. Go go make it to the point where you look and go, love our lineup, love our rotation, love our bullpen. We think we have a fighting chance this year. I, if, if you're going to make this deal, make one more and get another starting pitcher. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily say I disagree with that, but the way this is starting to set up, you're sort of looking at how they're building this thing. And okay, they've parted way with a guy like Shed Long, who I'm okay with that. Once was thought of a pretty highly as a prospect, but like we talked about on the last podcast, you were dealing from a position of strength. You didn't know exactly how he fit into your long term plans, and he wasn't the top guy. He Correct. wasn't Senzel. He wasn't Trammell. Uh, now we're getting into the talks with Real Muto. You would think it would require a guy like Senzel or Trammell, but or Jonathan India, who's been talked about. Well, and if you're talking about India and Tucker Barnhart, like if that's the deal, or those two and one more guy, who I think I do it. Isn't hot? You have to do it. I think like do I don't it. even think that's a question. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, before they had made some of the deals they've made, I would have said, you don't need a catcher. You've got a guy who's a, a gold glover on the so, defense. Someone side. has to hit eighth, right? Someone's got about eighth. And he's a team he's on a team friendly contract. There's no reason to go after a guy you only have control of for one more year. The Marlins aren't letting any of these teams negotiate with him ahead of time right. to try to sign him longer term. So I felt like he was a luxury that you just didn't need. Now I'm starting to look at it and I'm like, well, your pitching staff is going to be a little bit better, I, I think, if not significantly, if better. not a lot better. Yeah. And you put him in that lineup; it goes from being a good lineup with some unproven pieces to all of a sudden you've got a couple solidified stars in the middle of your lineup and some emerging pieces that could be stars scattered throughout one, two, six, seven, eight. I mean, like eight, all eight guys in your lineup now would be very dangerous. No, I, I mean if you constructed a lineup, and I know this isn't fantasy baseball because you also have to defend, but right now you don't technically have a center fielder. So let's just plug somebody into center field. Let's say it's it's Yasiel Puig. He's your center fielder on a on a daily basis as we sit here today. You, you would have a lineup in which I'd have to look at Jose Peraza and go, wait a minute, I, I got to bet you eighth. 
and and he he was really good offensively. He probably deserves in the lineup that is to bat eighth. But I mean, you could at the same time he he showed enough last year where he's second. Be, you could be excited about him being a leadoff guy. Correct. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to no, be a star no, agreed, at that spot, but agreed. I mean, you add Real Muto into that lineup, and it becomes scary good. Like, but I think if you're going to do it. Let's go all in here. Let, let's let's do what, let's let's do this. What it's does that happen- mean then? Turning around and trying to flip a, a, a guy like um, Senzel for Kluber or something? And I, I, I think Senzel and Trammell are off the table. I don't know okay. if Jeanette's off the table. Then, then to me, that's not going all in. Well, going all in would be getting rid of one of those two guys because that's what it would take to go get a guy like a Kluber or one more piece. That well, would I think be I think all you, I think that's where you make the decision at that point between Senzel and Jeanette. You say, listen. Well, Jeanette's. A, I don't. I don't think there's any worries about getting rid of Jeanette. I don't see why that would even remotely be a concern if you're looking at trying to get a star. He's your third best offensive player. For now. For now. For now. But you also kind of might have gotten lucky a year or two or a year and a half here with him. And I don't think you got lucky. I think he's legit. I think most people feel that way, but I don't I don't think you'd have any problems with saying, hey, we got him on the cheap already. You're, you get and him it, low, well, sell him high. And, and this year in the contract through avoiding arbitration, you've got him kind of on the cheap. I think you could make a deal for him. That's what I'm saying. He's one of the guys that yes. has value that you kind of groomed right, so, in so this spot. This I'd is, be fine getting rid this of This probably isn't on your topic list, but I'll throw it out there as another topic. If... if if the Indians said, I'll I'll give you the Reds a choice. I'll give you a chance to give me either Senzel or Jeanette. Which one do you give them? Oh, Jeanette, without okay. question. All right. Yeah, uh, that, to me, that's not even a doubt. You've you've invested a lot more in Senzel. Senzel supposedly has this upside Correct. that Jeanette does not right. have. Correct. Jeanette, you got as a guy that was on the scrap heap that no one really thought much of when, when you acquired him, and now he's developed into a guy who's a... Damn a, good offensive second baseman. Right, and, and I'm not trying to take anything away from him with that, but that's the exact guy you look to flip. I mean, when you get him on that cheap and you you build him into a piece that other teams want and you can sell him, you get rid of him when he's when his value is that high because you don't know what's, what's ahead for his career. I mean, he, was, he wasn't a guy that was that highly thought of. So, I mean, I, if you've got the chance to keep a prospect like Senzel and flip a guy like Jeanette when his, his value is at its highest, I think you have to do it. Okay. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Then if you're all in, let's go all in. Let's do this. Yeah. But, but again, to me, all in would be like going out and getting a Kluber type pitcher. It's not, even if it means giving up Senzel, right? Okay. To me, it's not saying, Hey, we got a couple guys are untouchable because no, no, right. we're still worried about our future, but we're willing to do as much as we can this year. And I think that is the right approach at this point, because you still have four teams in your division that all look really good, mm-hmm. and at the same time... I don't think Pittsburgh's very good. I think Pittsburgh's terrible. I'll give you the other three. I'll give you the Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I was including the Reds okay, yeah, in yeah, that, yeah, yeah, in yeah, that yeah, four. Yeah. And then and then Pittsburgh's not bad. They've got young pitching. Right. So, um, I, I don't know. I just, I just think it's a, a situation where it's probably time to start saying we're going to try to compete the way the Reds are. I, I'm starting... To, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid now. I'm starting well, to buy into what they're doing I, with this offseason. I, I, did the, I did a column last week and, and crunched some numbers. I mean, if you, if you take career numbers, and I know you can't because it's a fluid... Careers are fluid... But back of baseball cards are kind of they are what they are. If you take the the, the career numbers of Sonny Gray, Tanner Roark, Alex Wood, um, their career ERA is about three point seven, roughly. Let's just let's just go to that that number. And if you take Sonny Gray and take the last year in Yankee Stadium out of the whole equation, which you can't do, but because if you're going to do this, the whole thing, you got to be fair on all sides. But he was so bad in Yankee Stadium; it's almost like an outlier. That does seem like a fluke. Yes, correct. I mean, you're talking about a, a starting staff that is about 1.2 earned runs better. That's a significant jump in in, in improved ERA plus a lineup that you got to think is going to be significantly better with the additions you have. I think you got a chance. Everybody laughs and goes. Well, you don't go from 67 to 90 overnight. I'll give you that, but I think based on the improvements on both sides of the ball, you do. You can. I think, you might. I think you can absolutely do that. The problem is I don't know that you can do that in this division and come out as right. a playoff team. It's just going to be okay, really so, difficult. So 88 wins and where everybody beats each other. That's the other thing. I mean, you got the chance for everybody to beat. You don't have to go to 95 wins probably in this division, right? Right, right. And, and you're also in a situation where things happen in sports, man. Guys guys. Flop. They, no they, they don't return no, to no, form. That they, did. they get hurt. And if that happens, all of a sudden you now are a team that the Reds have put themselves in position where they're competitive with anyone in Major League Baseball. When everybody's so, healthy and, and the back of the baseball card is true. Right. So now you are in a position where if things break your way, you have a chance to compete. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think that means you mortgage your future for that, but I'm starting to get much more towards that line of, you know what? They might have a chance to compete this year, and a few things go your way. 
maybe you should go get a guy like Real Muto. Yeah. Like maybe he is worth it. Maybe he will push you over the top. And I three mean, three weeks I, ago I'd have laughed at this. Three I would have too. I was laughed at this. It seems so silly to me to to be even looking for a catcher when you had so many right. other needs and you needed pitching so much worse. Now I look at it and I'm like. They're getting close. They're getting closer. They're getting closer. You add him to that lineup, and it is ridiculously good in the middle of it. I mean, seriously, think about pairing a guy like him with a guy like Joey Votto, especially when he was playing in a giant cavernous ballpark, and he'll be moving, and he was had a ton of power on the road when he wasn't in that big ballpark. Put him in Great American next to Joey Votto. Twenty. He, he, he could be. He could be in this ballpark a twenty-five to twenty-seven home run, three seventy on base machine. It would not surprise me if he hit thirty home runs in a year. Right. Great no. Right. It really would. Right. All right, Skinny. Kentucky stretched its win streak to seven games with a thirty-five point win, eighty-seven fifty-two Tuesday at Vanderbilt. The Wildcats had struggled to a fifty-six forty-seven win at home over Vandy just seventeen days earlier. What stands out to you the most about the current run Kentucky is on? About how many different guys are getting it done? I mean, it's PJ Washington one play, it's it's Reed Travis on a play, it's Keldon Johnson on a play, it's Tyler Hero on a play, it's it's Ashton Hagens on a play, it's Emmanuel Quickly on a play. Um, Jamal Baker made I think made a couple shots in the in the win over Vandy um, on Tuesday night. I mean, you you're getting it from everywhere. Look, Vandy's not very good, and and. I, yeah, I think they, they had one last run in them. They almost beat Tennessee at home, blew a six-point lead with about 40 seconds to go, got to overtime, lost. And you can see that just looks like a deflated team. And Kentucky went on that crazy run in the first half where you could just look at Van and go, they're done. And, and Kentucky took advantage of that. But I, I, I it's, right now it's it's everything. And, and you know, you, you, I, I heard Cal at halftime last night say, now I need to get Nick Richards going. So I think he sees yeah. where, hey, I've got all these other parts. Let me try to get this other cat going. And then we got eight guys going. I, I mean, they're playing really, really well. Um, it's one of those things as a coach, and you've, you've coached um, – I had my team this year at Beachwood. We went through about a seven-game winning streak where I thought nobody can beat us. And then we lost the game where I thought we can't beat anybody because it, it, you want to bottle whatever you're doing right at the time you're doing it right, and it just it's so fluid that you can't winning is very fragile. do that. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody talks about, oh, Jimmy gets him to peak at the right time. Well, Jimmy probably got lucky to get him peak at the right time because it just it comes at peaks and valleys, and you hope there's a peak, and then there is going to be another valley, and then you hope the next peak is at the right time that you want it to be a peak. Um, I don't think they've reached their peak either, but I'm going to guess that there's going to be a loss here before long where you're going to go, wait a minute, how do they do that? And you just hope that it comes at the right time where, okay, all right, that's perfect. They need to fix this, this, and this, and they'll get it back. But right now, they're really good. That's the thing that's impressed me the most about this run is how they've handled the success. Because you hit those peaks and you win a couple big games like they've won and even on the road. You expect some valleys, especially with a team that's still kind of new and has a lot of young guys on it. This team hasn't had that. I mean, especially you go back to the first game of the year, they get smashed by Duke. Smashed. And things look like all the hype of how good this team is. And then for the next two and a half, three weeks, they just slug through ugly non-conference games against teams teams they should beat by 50 or 60. Teams teams making 19 threes in a game and hanging around in Rupp. VMI hanging around in Rupp Arena. Come on now. It didn't feel like they would be at this point at least not – not this early on in the right. season. And now all of a sudden, they've won seven straight. The last three road games, they've won by 20 at Georgia, one at Auburn, who's highly ranked, and turned around after a huge win at home over Kansas to cap a three-game winning streak over ranked opponents right. and dominated Vanderbilt in a 35-point win on the road. Their big wins have turned into confidence, not arrogance. Correct. For this team. Good point. And that is what you, you because that's what you're dying to see out of a young team I, like this. I mean, you look at the end of December where they beat Carolina and they beat Louisville at Louisville, right? And Louisville's, you, they, you know, people don't think they're good. I mean, they're. Yeah, we're going to talk about them coming yeah, up they're here. They're really yeah. good. Um, you had those two wins, and then you start a conference play with Alabama and lost by two. And I don't think it's because Kentucky played. Awful. I think some of that was Alabama played or Alabama played pretty good that night. And since that point in time, they yeah the the the, the Vandy win at home was ugly. It was just they they couldn't make a shot. They couldn't make a play. They were down sixteen to four. And it's funny you think about you think about that. They were down sixteen to four. So they've outscored Vandy now. What in the last um, game and and four fifths? Yeah, it's whatever. You do the, do the math. Take the sixteen to four away from fifty six forty. So I'm gonna do it here in, here in one second. So Vandy they've outscored Vandy. To one thirty nine to eighty three, 
You know the best part about that is there's no chance I could tell you if you're wrong because I went to Holy Cross and NKU. Yeah, so no, like there's I, I, no way I can I figure be, out. I could if be that's off two points here, right or there, but that's pretty but, close. That's yeah. a pretty big number in about a game in whatever uh, thirty minutes. Yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, th- this this team has turned it around in, in such a hurry, but like the maturity they've had while doing so and handling you know a win against Kansas the way they got it, and then turning around and just kicking ass at Vanderbilt the way they did. That impresses me as much as anything because we knew how talented they were before the season right. started. So it's not surprising me that some of these guys are starting to emerge. And like you mentioned, there are a ton of different guys getting it done from game to game. But well, and 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 Quade Green walking away was the best thing for everybody. Best thing for him and the best thing for them because he. I mean, he wasn't a bad guy, wasn't a bad no. player, wasn't a bad kid. It just it 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 messed with the rotation and right or wrong, players. It just it's their mindset of oh gosh I got my three minutes here comes this guy and boy what what else can I do to keep my minutes on the floor now you don't you don't have that you got hey he's got to play X number of minutes he's got I got an eight man rotation I don't have an eight and a half man rotation anymore I got an eight man rotation and I'm good with it I think it's really easy to look at the way they've played the timing of his departure and say oh that that was the difference. I think it'd be naive to think that's the only thing that no, happened, agreed, but agreed. I do think it definitely played yeah, a role. No doubt, no doubt. Skinny. Kentucky has won seven in a row, is now 17-3 overall and 6-1 in SEC play. Cincinnati has won six in a row, is now 18-3 overall and 7-1 in American Athletic Conference play. NKU has won six in a row and is now 18-4 overall, 8-1 in Horizon League play. And Louisville has won five in a row and is now 15-5 overall and 6-1 in ACC play. According to the Bracket Matrix, which basically takes all the bracketologies put out all across the country and combines them into one composite ranking. I love it. Sees where it's one of my favorite things to go to. UK is slotted as a two seed right now, Louisville a three seed, Cincinnati a seven seed, and NKU a 14 seed. Which local team season has been most impressive Ooh. to this point? I can, I'm going to rank them. How okay. about I do that? Okay, do an order. I'll, I love I'll, it. I'll bet, I'll bet you will come. I'm going to go UC is the most impressive. Louisville is two. NKU is three. And Kentucky is four. Because you just said it a minute ago. We knew Kentucky was talented. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, 17-3 and three still is a pretty good oh. run. And, and the way it started with that loss Correct. to Duke and then the struggles after that where and, they weren't losing and but you look didn't at, feel good. You look at the two losses. I mean, Seton Hall had a dude make a bunch of ridiculous shots and they lose by, by losing overtime by two. Yeah. And they lose at Alabama by two. So, I mean, they could yeah. very, very easily be 19-1. and one. But it is the least impressive out of these four yes. because we expected them to be right there with Duke when the season started. UC's to me is the most impressive. I mean, you lost three. Three legit dudes, man. Two two legit dudes and a, and a good player. I mean, Gary Clark and Jacob Evans are dudes, and 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 Kyle Gosh, Washington was a solid. nice player. Yeah, yeah he had nice some player. great moments. And, and in this program that is not a one and done program, that's not recruiting elite of elite. They're recruiting good guys, or else you're not going to have the success UC's having, right? You're still recruiting good guys, but you don't. You lose guys like that, you take a, a significant step. But now I didn't think they'd take a step back to where it would be. You know, a 500-ish team or a team that wouldn't make an NCAA tournament because I thought they were still among the top two or three teams in the AAC. But what they've done to me, I think, has been extremely impressive. And and they they have their identity and they have their star. And the star is played like a star. I mean, he is he is clearly to me the best player in the AAC and should be the player of the year, Jaron Cumberland. Um, so to me, I th- I'm going to go with them one, Louisville two, NKU just because of the overall record of 18 and four. Um, I mean, they don't play a high-level non-conference schedule, but they play a nice non-conference schedule and did well, a good job against and them. And the problem is, NKU would be way farther up here and be in contention for number one, probably, had they either popped Central Florida right. or really given UC a game at UC. Right. But the fact that they really didn't challenge either one of yeah. those teams, they, they didn't do anything that really surprised us. If you knew what they had coming back now... It's impressive what they've done. And no doubt. They had to add some new pieces. I mean, they're playing Zanai Robinson at the point and starting a grad transfer. And, you know, they, there was definitely, like, moving on from LeVon Holland as one of your yeah, premier was, playmakers was a big deal no for doubt. this team. So the way they've been able to gel that so quickly, it's impressive. But if you knew what they had coming back, you expect them to win the games they've won to this yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, I, I expect them to be the best team in the Horizon League. And they, yeah, they've and, done and, nothing to to suggest they're not. They have a two-point loss at Oakland and follow that up by boat racing – Detroit. I mean, they have they have beaten every team that they're supposed to beat solidly, solidly, and then taken care of all the other teams the way they should, especially at home. So, I mean, the fact that I'm putting them third on the list has nothing to do with how how little I think of their seasons at this point. I think they've they've been great. I think it also speaks to 
where that program maybe is that I can look at 18 and 4 and 8 and 1 and put them third on the list of, of impressive. I think what Chris Mack's done at Louisville is, is just absurdly good. And it's that's, just, yeah. that's where I disagree with you. I'd flip them ahead of UC. UC. Mick Cronin's coaching job has been fantastic. I'd go on record as saying last year, in my opinion, was it's hard to say it was one of his worst coaching jobs because just that team still accomplished a lot. Yeah. But I never thought he got that team playing anywhere near its potential. I thought they were always just not quite hitting on all cylinders, even though they were winning a lot. I think it caught up to them eventually. It did. I think you you clearly saw that. And uh, I I thought their loss, kind of the way things ended last year, was predictable with the way their season was going, the way they had been playing. This year, though, I didn't expect that much out of them, to be honest. And this is, in my opinion, his best coaching job I've ever seen. I really think he's getting – this team's playing above what I thought their their capability was. So it's a great season for him, but – what Chris Mack has done at Louisville. It's absurd. I mean, in that conference, and, and I don't think the ACC has ended up being as good as a lot of people no, thought it's, before it's, it's the year. it's not, but my goodness, you he don't was, have a night off usually. And he was picked to finish in the bottom right. of the conference. No one thought that team had much talent coming back. Not only are they, what, 6-1 and one right now, 15-5 and five overall, 6-1 and one in the conference, competing for the lead of the conference, Slotted for a third seed in the NCAA. I mean, people thought they might not make the tournament. In fact, I think I, most people I thought wasn't they sure they were a the 500 team. I swear I didn't. And they all like, and it's not just all that. He has big scalps. Yes, he's won big games. This team has won big games. To me, Chris Mack, Louisville, the season they're having right now is the most impressive out of these. I think we agree on all the other ones. I'd slide them ahead of UC though. Okay, fair enough. All right, next up, Xavier lost his third straight game Saturday, 87-82 at home to Marquette. Musketeers have lost five of their last seven, six of their last ten. They're three and five in the Big East. Rick, you cover them regularly. What's your biggest concern right now for Xavier? Travis Steele is a coach. I got to put it out there, sorry. Lack of talent or skill in the program and individual player struggles. I think it would be the latter. My, my biggest concern would be Quentin Gooden. And because... Right now, you've reached a point in the season where, for fans, you're really looking at what translates into next year, what type of momentum can we build for next year, and is this a, a one-year blip on the radar, or is this a two, three, four-year rebuilding project yeah. that Travis Steele is in the middle of? And the question's worth asking, because while you have to like some of the guys they have coming back, Paul Scruggs is, is developing into a star. Najee Marshall is a very talented player. Tyreek Jones is one of your better players who has had a really good year. It doesn't necessarily fix your problems for next year in terms of shooting, skill on the perimeter. Now, with the way Quentin Gooden has kind of slid back this year, you're starting to wonder, point guard play, and you need another guard now. You're, it's not just, can we get a little bit of firepower out of one of those freshman guards like Kiki Tandy or Damir Bishop coming in? It's are they going to be able to start and play alongside right. Paul Scruggs potentially if this thing doesn't get fixed with Quentin Gooden? And so it's way too early to start thinking like he needs to leave or you're going to bench him or anything like that. But it does seem at this point in the season, it's more of a mental thing. Well, and you, so what's going wrong there? What, what, what's going wrong? It's a good question. I don't think anyone can answer why he's not playing as well as you would expect or why, why he's not playing as well as he did last year. I think there are a lot of different excuses and theories that can be formed, whether it's, you know, he hurt his shoulder right before the season, missed the first two weeks of, or the, the last two weeks of practice right before the first game, uh, missed a game. Then he comes back, he gets sick and has to miss a game. He comes back, he gets hurt again, has to miss a game. So maybe it's just been some choppiness while also dealing with a new role and trying to be more of a leader, taking on more of a scoring role. I think it, it, it gets a lot more difficult to be a distributing point guard when you go from having two elite playmakers and shot makers alongside of you and JP McKeer and Trayvon Blewett to really no one else that can shoot from the outside. And so everyone trying to play off you while doing the same thing that you do, which is drive, draw fouls, get into the lane. So there's a lot of reasons why things may have not gone as well for him. But at this point, those other guys have started to figure some things out. The offense is playing better when he's not in there. They're able to find some easy baskets and he's just, he's had turnovers. He's had mental lapses, things that just aren't aren't what he does and aren't what any of these guys are doing at this point. So it's kind of like, is there a disconnect between him and the coaching staff at this point, which you wouldn't think so because Travis Steele was the one who right, recruited him right. and, and he, they really, he seemed to fight for Travis Steele to get the job. So you would think they'd be on the same page. It's, it's more just a matter of what can you do to get him on track? Because to me, that's the most important right, what, factor in the season, the rest of the way. What is his role? If I were to tell you this, if I, if you were, if you're, you tell Quentin Good right now. Here's what I want. Here's what I need you to do. What would it be? 
it'd be different right now from what it would have been coming into the year because coming into the year, I did think he needed to take on more of a scoring role and he needed, and he was capable of that too. It hasn't worked out. The team is starting to figure some things out when he's not in the lineup. So you can score points whether he's out there or not. So at this point I would tell him, go back to doing what made you, you as a freshman. When you first got in there, Edmund Sumner went down, you had a major foot injury and you're playing in the NCAA tournament all the way to an elite eight with a bunch of guys who you knew were better than you. And you were just trying to make them better. You were just saying, what can I do to facilitate and make the game easier for you? Just do that for these guys. Just be that guy. And no, it's not going to work the same. No, you're not just going to be able to do little uh, circle ups and pitch it back to a shooter for a three. That's not going to happen. But just try to make the game easier on Tyreek Jones and Zach Hankins and Paul Scruggs and Najee Marshall. And if you do that, enough opportunities with his athleticism and teams not respecting him because he hasn't been shooting the ball well at all and he hasn't scored well, he'll get easy opportunities just off of that if he's if he plays aggressive but he to me that's take all the pressure off of needing to score for this team or needing to be a leader or anything like that just try to make the game easy for your teammates see I, I know we, we've talked about this on our, our college basketball podcast that we do on, on Sundays um you you and you've you've been in the camp of this you this Xavier team is what it is it's it's probably not a 500 team even in the big East and it's not going to the NCAA tournament all those things I think it's still got to run in them somewhere because of Quentin Gooden that if the light bulb goes back on, he can be a difference maker to me. He can be a guy that does all the things you're talking about, make them better, and in a, in a, in a tournament scenario becomes at times unguardable and creates for others. I, that's the only thing if I was a Xavier fan I hold out hope for is if it goes off for him and the trickle-down effect takes place or he just does what he needs to do um, the best way that he can – I think there is still some potential for this team this year. I think they're really dangerous, and they can knock off anyone in the conference. And they're already showing some of that potential. Right. They, they played pretty well at Villanova. Played really well. They played pretty darn well at home against Marquette. Very so, well. like, they can play with teams that are ranked, and they'd be a scary team to face in a one-game scenario for what you just mentioned. The problem is I don't think they can shoot well enough consistently enough. to make like a four-game run at Madison Square Garden away from the Cintas Center. That, to me, just seems unlikely to say like, oh, they still got a chance at the tournament because they could make that type of run. I don't think that could happen, but could they knock off someone surprisingly maybe in that second round? Sure, that's not out of the realm of possibility, I don't think. Yeah. All right, Skinny, it's time to take a look at our college basketball lines. Xavier at Georgetown. The Musketeers are three-point underdogs. 153 is the total in that game. Yeah, three is too small of a number for me on the road for them. Um, I, Georgetown's not not good. They don't guard a soul, but it comes down to what you talk about. Can you make enough shots? I mean, this becomes a scoring game. I'll go Georgetown 81-73. Uh, that's so that's, I'm right on I'm barely I'm right on the total again basically <laughs> yeah you're right at that number once again uh, this is a tough one I think against Georgetown this allows Xavier to play two bigs and it makes it easier on them I think the matchups just work out well and Xavier is this is almost I'm not gonna say a breaking point for this team because we've talked about they could right. lose almost anyone right. I I don't know that they've lost confidence I mean they've clearly lost confidence but I don't know the point like they've lost the locker room or they're not fighting anymore their resolve has been pretty good so I think after this losing streak they're gonna come out with a pretty good effort the matchups work well I'm gonna take them in the upset here it takes Xavier to win it but I will go with the under with them being on the road in this one on Saturday at 4 p.m., we've got UK at Florida. The Wildcats are one-point favorites. The total, 125 in that game. What do you think? I'm going with Kentucky and the over. Um, I think they are playing with a level of confidence. I, I, Florida's not a great offensive team. Um, uh, right now, I'm not sure, other than the game at Tennessee, I would tell you that I would favor the other team, not just number-wise, I would favor the other team to win. That's the only game right now I would say – I would pick Tennessee to win that game. Everything else, Tennessee and Rupp, um, Mississippi State, wherever they would play them, uh, I, I would take take Kentucky the way they're playing right now. I'm going to take Kentucky. I'm going to go over. I will, too. And the fact that this is only a one-point spread makes it right. really easy to make. These are Ken Palm spreads, by the way. Yes, it re- makes it really easy to make that decision because going to Florida is always difficult. Very. And while I just said Kentucky's showing a lot of maturity, handling their success well, that's still exactly what you worry about is going on the road after you've had you've won a bunch of games in a row and keeping that same level of intensity and not having that that slip up. So 
I will pick Kentucky. I will take the over. I think you're exactly right. But this is another one of those games where you're watching intently going, are they going to keep this going? Or is this one of those games where they start showing some youth and, and some of those uh, mistakes that they showed earlier in the season? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that arena, it's, one, it's, it's probably my favorite one to go cover a game on the road in. I mean, the, the students literally, from a, from a press perspective, were right on top of you. Your ears would be ringing. And so you know the players' ears are ringing, for goodness sakes. It's, it's a smaller venue. The noise stays in there. It is a tough place to go and play. But I don't think much is rattling this team right now I, I i'm going kentucky saturday at 8 p.m you've got smu at uc the bearcats favored by 12 in that game 134 is the total i think the temple win is going to be such a confidence boost for them they've got some time off since that game this is the first game uh since then for them so i, I i'm going to take uc to roll i'll go uc 74 to 58 I, I think they they are playing that well right now yeah and with them going back home too I, yes this is a big number 12 it but is with them playing it is at because home and you still they, they haven't defended well no matter where they've been right but yeah but look, smooth's not very good this no year. correct i mean you know they were all out to, to beat tulsa at tulsa and then turn around and tulsa came back here and just hammered them uh, I they're just a better team. They're just a better team. And I'm going to go over too because UC is weirdly scoring, scoring a little bit more. I just barely went. I went 74 58, so I barely went under. Yeah, I'll I'll go over because they are scoring a little bit more. And uh, like you said, they're not defending quite as well. So, uh, and that leads us to four o'clock on Sunday. The NKU Norse are at Illinois Chicago. The Norse are six point favorites in that one. The over is 146. I'm not going to pick against NKU to win, but that number is right about where I would think it should be. I'll go NKU 74-70. So it stays barely under, and the Norse get the win, but don't get the cover. All right, I'm going to say they do cover this one. Um, and I think you're you're in the ball. You're right in the ballpark. I'm going to go slightly over, maybe something like seventy-eight, uh, seventy in this okay. one. So uh, I, I think they're. I mean, Ken Palm's been dang good, and that they line, have been. That line feels really accurate. This is this is a fun game to me. If if you're looking for a game to watch on Sunday afternoon before the Super Bowl starts. UIC, this leads you right up to it. UIC has two guards who are two of the best in the conference, and they play pretty undisciplined, so it kind of makes for a fun uh, just street ball style game at times. Uh, if you're looking for something to watch before the game starts, that's one worth potentially turning on. And I'm not picking against NKU because I, they're not going to lose another conference game. I, I mean, I've already I've stated that. It's been well stated for me. <laughs> Skinny, normally we look at storylines across the country during the second half of the podcast, but today's episode is going to be focused on Sunday's Super Bowl 53. Let's start with this. Tom Brady told ESPN on Sunday that there was 0% chance, a 0-0-0% chance the Super Bowl would be his final game. Do you believe him, Skinny? Is this is it a 0% chance this is the last game, or do you think it's possible he calls it quits? I, I do believe him. I, I, he said he wants to play till he's 45. That was what he said for a while. So if you believe that, you're not going to believe that this is his last game. This isn't Tom Brady limping into the Super Bowl, right? This isn't Tom Brady. This isn't with Peyton a, Manning winning that last Super right. Bowl with the yeah, with, Broncos. A, with, a, with, a, with a bad wing and yeah. handing the ball off and hoping the defense could win it. And boy, we got Wait. Peyton. Uh, Broncos something. fans wanted Tim yes. Tebow back. Yeah, correct. Um, no, this is still Tom Brady. I don't want to say at the top of his game, but I sure as hell can't tell you it's the bottom of his game either. Well, who's better right now in the NFL? He might not be as good as he once was, but who? What NFL quarterbacks are you taking ahead of Tom Brady? I Two. Think Drew, I'm a big Drew Brees guy. Okay, but, but Drew yeah, Brees, yeah, no, right. Pat Mahomes, yeah, right. maybe, right. probably not Aaron Rodgers. Probably this not year, Aaron Rodgers. Maybe long term Aaron no. Rodgers, but like, no, that's he, fair. I you're mean, not even taking younger guys other than he him. is still. Like I said, he is still a guy. I mean, they they win. They but they've run the ball very effectively in the postseason. That they've yeah. got a the offensive line has been huge. Yes, and they're going to be tested against a guy like Aaron Donald. Correct. Um, but Tom Brady. And that and the game winning drive, the overtime drive, he converts three third and tens. He converts them. He's the one that made the plays on the third and tens. Um, it wasn't somebody making a spectacular catch or a couple of nice catches, but he converted the third and tens. He's still really at the top of his game. I, I think he is, if he says he's going to play till forty five and he wants to show people that hey, I'm going to do this and I can do this. I mean, he's a show it to you guy, right? He's the guy that was was overlooked in the draft, and when he got his chance, he showed you. And he's been that show it to you guy the whole time. I'm no, I don't think I, I believe him. I don't think it's his last game. I don't. I think you're right, and it's because he gets the ball out so quick. He never gets touched. Like right. what he's doing does not need a lot of mobility. Now he slides well, avoids some pressure, steps up in pocket. Catch well. passes the way he used to. He had struggled with that one <laughs> no, a little bit this 40, year. Forty time might be a little bit slower, <laughs> yeah. but he is. 
doing what he's doing does not require a lot other than enough arm strength. And, and I he don't, still has it. And I don't think that's decreased enough to the point where he would need to retire. So my question is this. Who lasts longer, Brady or Belichick at this point? I think they go out together. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, oh, I don't maybe think I'm naive. so at all. I know. I, I think they go out together. I do. I think Belichick outlasts him. I think Brady out. If you're going to ask me which one, I think Brady outlasts Belichick. You do. I do. See, I think the opposite. I don't think Belichick's that old. He's not. And he's still killing. I And I think there's there's something that drives him that wants to win one after Brady's done. I think he wants to show, not that it was just it, me it, and not Brady, but that it was it was a little bit more me than I'm. I'm great without Tom too. Yeah, I think if, he if wants to prove that. That was the case. That. I think he would have found a way to hang on to Jimmy G. I I, I do. I, probably well, and I don't think he was happy that they didn't. I know. I think he was very upset for that exact reason. Um, and and he's not opposed to continuing to draft. Let's face it. I mean, in this Brady uh, year, they've drafted some quarterbacks along the way, right? That's basically saying, "I right, this will be the next guy." Well, it's never been the next guy because it's still the guy. But I think that's that's. I think that shows you that Belichick's plan all along has been to outlast Brady, and after he leaves, I need to be grooming the next Brady or whoever it is. I, if there's not a guy in the pipeline, though, I can't see him going through a 5-11 and 11 rebuilding process with a young quarterback. I can't see him doing that. I, I don't. Do you believe he actually would consider a 5-11 and 11 season even if he has a young quarterback? Well, he's had one. He's had one in Cleveland. I mean, he's, he's gone through. <laughs> Kenny. How long ago was that? Do you really believe he thinks in today's NFL, while he's at the New England Patriots, in the midst of this, that he wouldn't be able to bring someone in for one year, whether it be a young guy or whether it be I think his a veteran? E- I think his ego would say that. Yes, and that's but that's what guys make decisions but, on. Right, but, but ego aside... There ain't no other Tom Brady's out there right now. I mean, he's his. It's been a perfect marriage. Whether it's been a rocky marriage or not, it's been a perfect marriage. He all you could almost say you lucked into that cat. You really did. You didn't know what you had. You, you think didn't. you yeah. think you could you think you could say that? Yeah, I mean, you, you would definitely say yeah. they lucked into that cat. And it, and it doesn't doesn't take away from how good of a coach Bill Belichick is. He is a very good football coach. He probably was in Cleveland. Cleveland didn't know it because the record didn't suggest it because the roster didn't do anything to help that. Right. Um, but I can't see him going through and looking and going, all right. And he, I think he's smart enough to know that if the quarterback isn't there, and maybe Jimmy G was the guy. Maybe he was the guy that he thought, I, that, there's, my, there's my guy. There's my next guy. And maybe he's got – hell, he may have three more drafts to find that guy too, right? No, I mean, that's what I'm saying. If he's got long. a few more years. But if he doesn't, if, if, if he's at the crossroads of Tom's going out next year and I don't have the guy in my pipeline, he goes out with Tom. You don't think he would just find a, a veteran that he feels like, I can still scheme this enough to win the AFC for this year? We may not be a Super Bowl team, but we'll draft our guy and groom him, and we'll be right back? Ego is ego, and hubris is hubris, and he did it with Matt Castle I, the one year. I and think he did win 11-5 and five with Matt Castle. I think he'll How'd say Matt Castle's that? career wind up? Not great I without know. Belichick. I know. I know. I, I, I'm noting you. I just... I, I think he is he is wise enough to look and go, all right, the guy is not around. If the guy's around, if he's got Maybe. a guy that he likes and believes or that he thinks that he can go get, I mean, if there's an Alex Smith level, if it's 34-year-old Andy Dalton. that's Honestly, that, that's the type of guy I'm talking about. Like I could see him getting a guy who's like had a solid career, is more towards the end, and everyone's like, oh, it's kind of that journeyman who's like, okay, he's decent but not good enough. He'll take that, put him on the Patriots with – a Patriots-type team and be like, we'll scheme our way to yeah. an AFC championship at least and we'll get back on top in a year or two. I think he outlasts Brady and Brady goes out by him cutting Brady. The most Patriots-Belichick wow. way possible. Wow. When, I think a year, that a year early. I, and then Brady goes somewhere else and goes 12-4, and I, four, right? I Honestly? Holy would, cow, wouldn't that I be would, awesome? That I would, would be so good. I would not be surprised. Think back six or seven months ago. We thought this thing was crumbling down I after did. they lost the Super Bowl. I, I did. It seemed like they were there was turmoil between those two that wasn't going to be didn't, reconcilable. Did, did, didn't play the, the cornerback, and everybody was mad about it. And I, I, I do not think it's all that absurd that Tom Brady could finish his career in another jersey and that it could be the result of him and Belichick breaking things off. It would not surprise me. New York Jet, Tom Brady, Miami Dolphins. In the same hey, it it's ain't, be, it's it ain't be, gonna be the New York Jets, my man. <laughs> I tell you that right now. How good would that be? Oh my god! They 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 would be the ones that would take him, even though they've they've called him a cheater. 
Skinny Raymond. Speaking of which, did you see it? I didn't. I did you see the kids? Uh, the the kid from Kentucky. His yeah, his the science fair science project. fair project was awesome. Yeah, that's pretty Fabulous. well done. The cheater. Yeah. Why Tom? What was it? Why Tom Brady is a cheater? Yeah, proved it scientifically. He, he proved it scientifically. And that's another situation where I don't know enough science to know if he did or not. Correct. Sounds good enough to me. I, I give him a. I give the I give the kid all kinds of props for that. I, so we were we found out that we were talking about this the other night that exact story, and I was like, oh yeah, I faked an entire science project my seventh grade year. Like, I just didn't do one. I made up results and everything. Came up with this idea for, like, cold weather, making basketballs not bounce as high or whatever. Because I knew it. Because I knew it doesn't. It is true, And and then, like, I just made up results for that. Like, I was putting down all these inches, and the teacher's probably looking at this, like, zero chance, except for the fact that She's doesn't, a seventh grade science know. teacher. Correct. Doesn't know. Well, doesn't care at Correct. all. She just she wants just to go make drink some wine. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And so then I say that in front of my brother. Yeah, I got like a, a B plus or an A minus. Why'd you like get that. a B plus? Uh, well, uh, probably because I was mad. probably because I was half assing at the last minute and doing it with like Crayola markers on a poster board. Elmer's or glue. My brother tells me right after that. He goes, "You made that up?" I go, "Yeah." He goes, "Oh, I used that the next year because I didn't do one either." Wow. <laughs> Wow, how good is that? <laughs> we both passed off a totally fake As a kid, did you ever do this, by the way? We used to do this all the time. Did you ever heat a basketball like in a in a washing tub with in hot water when when it was cold outside to go play? No, no, we, that's a veteran move though. It was a veteran move. We we just had like seventeen different basketballs. Well, we in our did garage, too. And you'd start dribbling one, and be like, no, that one's not going to work. And it's like, okay, this one's almost going to work. Let's go pump this one up, and it should be good. That's enough. what we would do. Then we'd heat it up, and then we'd put hot water on it, and then towel it off, and it would be it would be perfect. Yeah, you'd go we, outside and play for about an hour and a half in the cold. I wish we would have had that type of wisdom back when shooting we were uphill. Young. Into the wind. That's how we played. No. I don't know if that's how you played. No. That's how we played. No. And we didn't have shoes. We didn't have a lot of toughness back yeah. where, like, And occasionally we'd wear shorts in 20 degree weather. We just would do it. Where I'm from, there's nothing to talk about. Although the only problem with that is we grew up on the same street. So. That's a good point. That's <laughs> a good call. And you saw where I lived, and actually my basketball court was flat in the back. So yeah, just in case it, wasn't, it wasn't uphill. Yeah. Rams coach Sean McVay has received a crazy amount of attention over the last few months. People in the league seem to view him as a prodigy and are trying to find the next version of him while looking for their own coach. Skinny, would a win over Belichick in the Super Bowl solidify Sean McVay as a great coach already? Mm, I'll say if you win a Super Bowl, I think you qualify as a great coach. I, I, I do. I mean, I'm trying to think. How many – How many? George Seifert never felt like a great coach. There's got to be some bad coaches that have won a Super yeah, Bowl, Yeah, that's what I'm right? saying. George Seifert never felt like a great coach. He just felt like he kind of fell into a great part of the dynasty where Bill Walsh walked away from the 49ers. Um, but – a great coach is hard for me. I think I think it solidifies him as what you think he is—the up and coming prodigy that would say, "Hey, this dude's got some, some some cred now." I mean, it was all fun and games until he won this, and now you go, "Hey, dude knows exactly what he's doing, and he just got it done at a young age." Um, great is a—it's thrown around a lot, but you you throw good questions in there. I, I I won't say great coach, but I will say. He sol- he would at least solidify what you think he is, which is a really really good up and coming coach. Well, and I think that's all that really matters, right? Like my answer would be yes because the per- perception of him after that point would be he's invisible. Like I he think is, Andy he is- Reid is a great no, football coach. I do. Whatever too. reason, he just has never gotten it done when it's mattered. Yeah, and it's hard to figure out why that right. is, but right. perception is all that matters. Right. And we base so much narrative off of winning. In games when it quote unquote matters, right. championship games, we, we do it with college basketball. Do you know like who Don McCafferty is? Yes. Okay, he won a Super Bowl with so the, that's with the Colts. That's a good one right yeah, there. Exactly. Yeah. Who who else? Uh, was that Herm Edwards that won with the Colts that one year? No, Tony. Uh, no, I mean not. Tony, no, no, uh, Jim uh, Caldwell wasn't it? Yeah, Jim Caldwell wasn't a very good coach. No, agreed. Yeah, right, it, no, right. I, right. I meant Tony Dungy, not Herm Edwards. That's a little racist on my Co- part. Sorry. Correct. No. But, Herm never coached the Colts. Yeah, I know. That's I, why I, I, I was I, I, doing I, 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 the I mixed ga- uh, yeah. old guy thing. Um, yeah, that, that, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, there have been a handful of not, – not a lot. I mean, there's been – most of these guys, when you look that have won Super Bowls, it comes in fair – not dynasty-type runs, but for the most part, it's been lengthy runs for guys. Yeah, or where they've had some success right. over multiple years. I mean, I, I'm not even sure I quantify – yeah, I would. I mean – even look at the Steelers. I think Mike Tomlin's a great coach. He's probably is underachieved at times, but he won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, Harbaugh won it with the Ravens when Flacco won. Who was the coach at yeah, that time? Yeah, yeah. I don't know I don't if know I think he goes great with him. Yes, correct. Yeah, so those guys were definitely not great coaches that have won Super Bowls. But again, I think with the buildup Sean McVay already has, the buzz he's already created for himself, he beats Bill Belichick with that storyline attached to it. Right. It really doesn't matter what he actually is. All that matters is everyone is going to say he's the genius prodigy who 
turned around the Rams really quickly and then beat Bill Belichick in a Super Bowl already. So for the next five to 10 years, it probably really doesn't matter what he actually is. We're going to decide he's a great coach. Yes. No, I, I, I that's probably fair. Great. Like I said, great is a relative term. Um, I, I would say this. You win it at the young age that he would win it at and, and as good of a coach as I think he is and is proving to be. Um, can you imagine what he could possibly do over the next 20 to 25 years if he wants to coach that long? He's going to make a lot of money. I know that He's much. He's going to make a lot of money. No question about it. He needs to shave that beard, though. <laughs> I, I I think most of the women from the reaction I've seen on social media would disagree with you. I think he's doing just fine. In I'm not a woman. The, the attractiveness <laughs> I'm, department. I'm not a woman. So I, well, I'm just letting you know what i What's I've a better seen. look, the beard or the hoodie? Well, are we talking about the guys or the actual like accessory on a man, period? I'm going... I Yeah, I... I are you asking me to judge who's more attractive between Sean let, McVay no, and Bill Belichick or just this. their appearance, if, like what they if, wear? If, I had to, if you had to choose what to wear on the sideline, would you want to grow a beard or would you wear the hoodie? I can't grow a beard, so I think I'd... I think I, you can't grow a beard? I, I, Do you shave? Well, I, I do, but only to keep from looking like a 14-year-old Newport. <laughs> I, I just get like that grit stash. <laughs> going a little bit like i'm pretty sure at some point i'm gonna hit puberty in the next few years Holy but it cow. hasn't quite happened yet okay so i guess i would go with beard just so i could see what that's like but my guess is i wouldn't like it that much it'd be a little too itchy and warm yes, I, yeah. and i'd go straight hoodie with cut off sleeves i'll bring you a picture at some point of my of my, my myself in my 20s when i had the porn stash it was a good look i really can't wait to see that it's a good look i would well we'll come up with your porn name maybe on the next podcast when you bring that picture in let's get to some prop bet skinny one of the best parts of the super bowl always it's, it's, in case you're wondering it's bama fairwood you know why right because that's where you grew up and the first, first street pet. you lived on first, first street first street i lived on was fairwood court and the first pet we had was was a cat named bama oh, okay bama you. fairwood baby how about that name <laughs> okay. you know that would rock it <laughs> so it's pet and then street yes so mine would be Chantel and dale how about that oh, that is that it. is a french prostitute that I've is ever heard it of one. dude there Chantel you go Lindale. i like it get it on oh, Chantel and dale <laughs> Skinny. The best part of the Super Bowl are always the prop bets. So we're going yes. to do a little contest here. We're going to run down some of the top prop bets. All right. And we're just going to decide what we choose. People can use this if they want or better. They probably shouldn't. Yep. Um, but we'll see who wins next week when we get done with Let's all do the it. Super Bowl. So, right. uh, starting do you with, have a sheet? Are you marking this yeah, down? Yeah, I'm going to mark okay. this down right. as we go. Okay. What will be the result of the coin toss? Heads or tails? Tails never fails. Unfortunately, I'm going with you on that one. What will be the length of the national anthem? Over 110.5 seconds or under? What's well, a great number, man, because two minutes is a long, so two minutes is 120 seconds. Yeah, it's 10 seconds, two, 150. Two, I'll, go, minute 50. I'll go under by two seconds. I'm going over. Okay. They like they like to show they off. They do like to show one. off. You're, yeah. you're right in that regard, but but hopefully they've given that, – that's where you know, you're know you an event, and the Whitney Houston National Anthem is still the benchmark, right? It's the great, the greatest one. It was the 9-11. It was just great. Her voice – what, 9-11? It was 1990, whatever. It was just – it was it's the benchmark. But whenever you're at a sporting event and all of a sudden that's the one that comes on, you go, oh, this is the long, long one, man. Let's just yeah. – let's go. Let's go. Shout out to Jaren Stowers. I don't know if you remember that name at all, but when I was at Holy Cross High School back in the day, back in she the day. was a, a student – and she used to sing the national anthem both live and then they just got it recorded to play oh, really? it all the other games because it yeah, was that, that good. good. Yeah. And to this day, I think it's either her or the blind girl that goes around to yes. all the games around who's here really who's, who's unbelievably good. Marlo Ridnour, I think, is the yes, blind girl. Yes, thank you. Yes. Those are the two best I've ever seen. Yeah, I like her. Oh, the best is the is the is the is the, is the uh, fire. Fire chief from Cincinnati. Nah, I disagree. He's, oh, dude, he I'm not is a the big, man. I'm not a big guy singer when it comes oh, to songs oh, like that. Oh, he's really good. Yeah, that's really nice. good. I just it's not my thing. Like okay. I don't, I don't like guys doing actual like singing. Like I that. do have a friend. I don't know if he does it does it any longer. He, I, Josh Katzowitz, who used to work at, yeah. the, at the Post. Great guy. Josh, for he, he he probably still is doing it. He covered very numerous different sports over the years. Yes. And he would record the time of every national anthem <laughs> at every sporting event he was at. Well, he would do that at high school games back when he was covering them for the Post. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't know he did them in high school games, too. That's tremendous. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Skinny, who will score the first touchdown of the game? Mm. I'll go Sony Michelle. Oh, well, here's the thing. We are both going with Patriots running backs then because I was You're going Rex Burkhead. Oh, okay, all right. I am going to just torture the Bengals fans. Yeah, that would that, – it's already torturous to watch him bound in for the AFC Championship title. The first touchdown in the Super Bowl because they loved them some Rex. I love me some Rex. He was a good dude. How many, He's a good dude. How many touchdowns will be scored in the first half? Combined? Yes. Four. Wow. I'm going to go three. Okay. 
So if I'm clo- if so if it goes five, I win automatically. If it goes three or less, you win. That's, That's what correct. It is. Okay, all right. How many individual players will have a reception for the Patriots? Seven. Three three different running three different running backs, Gronk, and three different wide receivers. Yeah, he kind of nailed that. Uh, <laughs> maybe four different running backs if they throw to the fullback. I'll go eight. Okay, yeah, that's go a good eight. call. That's a good call. Well, but hey, they'll do the Philly special to Tom, Tom Brady, Brady in this game. Point, but, they, okay, that's a good point. That's yeah, another receiver. That's a good call. Uh, will Tom Brady complete his first pass attempt? Yes, because it'll be safe. It'll be a short, safe pass attempt. So, yes. Yeah, I'm going to go with you on that one. How many touchdown passes will Tom Brady and Jared Goff throw? Over 4.5 or under 4.5? Over. Over. Got to be. I'm with you on that. Over. I wouldn't feel safe with the under there. No, I mean, you just don't want to get in the fourth quarter. Correct, correct. <laughs> Where they're sitting on four and you realize somebody's got to score a touchdown and they're going to throw to get there. Or if they're sitting on one. Or, I mean, correct. you just yes, don't correct. want to get to the fourth no. quarter of that correct. game if you've got that correct. bet in the under. Correct. How many receiving yards will Julian Edelman have? Over 80.5 or under 80.5? It feels like a Chris Hogan special. I don't know why. I'm going to go under 80.5. Man, I'd like to get some separation here. I'm going under as well, unfortunately. Will either quarterback throw for 325 yards? 325 or more passing yards. I'm going to say no. Cuz I think New England's going to continue to run the football and I don't and I think I think the Rams want to probably try to run the football too. I'm going to go no. I'm going to go yes just for some separation. Okay. I honestly would have well, gone you, I'll, no I'll had you, you not I'll, said no. I'll let you answer first on the next one. How about that? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> on the second to last question. Oh, sorry. Will either team be trailing by 10 points or more in the fourth quarter? You go you go first. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say no. I think it, I think it's a seesaw game. All right, tiebreaker: How many combined rushing yards will the Rams and Patriots have in Super Bowl Fifty Three? That's combined, both teams. How I'll let you go have? first again. All right, I'm going to say three hundred and fifty-four yards. Oh wow, you're way high! Holy cow! I'll say two fifty-four. We got a big separation there. Wow, hundred yard difference. Yes, so two fifty-four. Right in the middle on that one. Okay, wherever that is. We got yeah, man. exactly. You can do the you can do your Holy Cross math. All right, skinny. Let's finish this one up. The Patriots are favored by three points. The total is 57. Who do you got? I'm sticking with my plan. I'm going against the Patriots yet again. Dynasty going, is over. I'm going Rams, and I'm going to go. Man, that total is probably darn near right on. I'm thinking, I'm thinking 31, 27, 28 Rams. I'll go over. I'll go Rams and over. I am. Going, I would tell you this. I would not feel good with the under, even though that's a big, big, big number. Oh, especially in a Super Bowl game, yeah. that feels like a ton. But I know. like again, in today's NFL, with any team, and they that's don't call le- as much. They any team that's they don't legitimate. even call interference anymore. <laughs> yeah, any team that's legitimate in the NFL now, you get into that fourth quarter and it just becomes a shootout. Yeah, I'm, I got. I got to go. I got to go. I'm going Rams and over. I'm going to finally be right on the Patriots losing. Okay. I've been terrible this whole, whole I've been against them. I'm, you know when, when these great teams always say everybody's against us? Well, that's, you, that's, that's always a lie. They're actually I'm referring that guy. to you. I'm that guy. Yes. I'm against when you. When we keep having to hear, we're still here and no one thinks no one we thinks, can win yeah, this one, yeah. the Patriots are talking about me. You. Oh, I get it. And I, you yeah, there's, only. A, there's always that guy. Because I'm, you're I'm, the only one that I, actually thinks I, that I, their I, dynasty was going to be. I realize I am. I'm that guy. So, Patriots, you're right. You're right. Everybody's against you. Everybody being me. Yeah. Uh, Patriots, I'll stick with them as I have. I know all, you have postseason. You're not against them. No, the Patriots will win. They will cover, uh, but it's going to be a close one. I'm going to say they win 34 28. So you're going the over two. Yes. The over seems like the safe play. Yes. Again, tails never fails. Tails never fails. All right, man. I think that does it. Good deal for Rick Boring. I'm Richard Skinner. This is Skinny Podcast presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati.